You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Indeed. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jackie. Let's bow our heads and pray before we reflect on this passage. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we now turn to reflect on your word, I can't think of a more important word for our age and a more important word for our word for our time and for our congregation. I trust you've assembled us together, even visitors here this Sunday, to hear this your word. We pray now that through this your word you would lead us to see Christ. And he would be more beautiful, more believable, more trustworthy than all the things this world presents to us and tells us to put our trust in. Show us Christ, we pray. It's in in his name we even ask. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if anyone else remembers that Mad TV episode uh, where Bob Newhart plays a counselor or a therapist. I don't know if you remember it. A young woman comes into Newhart's office and she's describing... A, a situation she's facing. She's, I think she's scared of, of being buried in a box. And she goes to great lengths about how much complication uh, this has made for her life, this fear, how it's getting in her way of enjoying life, and goes through all the details. And uh, Bob Newhart, playing this therapist, after hearing all the details, you know, not taking any notes, he tells her he's going to give her two words that are going to change her life. And she's to carry it with her for the rest of her life. And this is his, his sort of counseling wisdom. And she says, okay, can I get a pen and paper, make sure I take these down? He said, listen, it's two words. It's very easy. It will change your life. And if you know the skit, you know where I'm going. She's leaning forward, ready to hear the wisdom of her sage. And what does he say? Stop it! You know? <laughs> she kind of scratches her head. I'm sorry? He says, stop it! She's like, what are you talking about? You know? She said, you're worried about being buried in a box. It's not going to happen. Stop it. Stop thinking about it. 
And she obviously gets frustrated, and the, the skit kind of goes on. Why do I share that? Listen, ours is an anxious age. I don't even think I need to make an argument for you about that, but if I needed to, the U.S. Surgeons uh, General actually just released a report that said, among other things, anxiety is, release, is reaching a crisis level for national health in the U.S. I can't imagine it's much different here in Canada. Uh, the no, Christ, no Friend of Christianity, uh, Elaine de, uh, de Bouton, a writer and journalist, he writes this, that anxiety is the handmaiden of contemporary ambition. So the more in which we pursue ambition in our culture, the more in which we find anxiety uh, creeping in. I can't help but wonder if historians will look back at our age as we've tried to adapt to a world with social media, adapt to a world that is incredibly intertwined and global, that historians will look back at our age and see it as an anxious age, as this being a prevailing quality of the human experience of our time. And here we have Jesus, not once, not twice, but thrice, saying what? Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. He says it in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34. And in some ways, if you're here and you know what it's like for your motor not be able to, to not be able to stop, if you've battled through anxiety, you wonder, is Jesus just telling me to stop it? Is he just giving me simplistic advice that isn't going to be of any help? Most people who feel plagued by anxiety and worry feel it sneaks up on them, it overwhelms them, and there's very little way forward. Is Jesus just saying, stop it? And the question I want to wrestle through is, are Jesus' words relevant for a day like ours? Or is our anxious time too unique, too great for advice like his? I'm going to move quickly because we do have this congregational meeting, so hang in there, but I trust this passage will be as meaningful to you as it was to me. Here's what I want to look at this morning. I want to ask first, what is this anxiety that Jesus is, is talking about? I think it's very important that we be clear on this. So first, what is the anxiety Jesus is referring to? Second, how does this anxiety work? And then third, I want to ask, what can we do about it? Okay, what is the anxiety Jesus is referring to? How does anxiety work? And what can we do about it? So first, we need to think clearly about this anxiety that Jesus is referring to, okay? So with anxiety disorders being one of the most common and most diagnosed mental illnesses of our time, especially in the Western world, it is very important that we think hard about the type of anxiety Jesus is referring to. And this passage gives us some very clear clues as to what type of anxiety we're thinking of. The passage starts in verse 25 with what word? Therefore. If you're new to reading the Bible or new to reading literature, you know, you should know that when you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, what is it there for, you know? It's cheesy, but you won't forget it. This passage is coming as a conclusion or as a, is driving home a point that has been previously made, and it's related to the passage Pastor Linden preached about last week. This passage that you cannot serve God and mammon, or you can't serve God and money. You're not to lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Jesus has been blunt. He's been to the point. He said you can't have two masters. You'll either serve one and hate the other or uh, uh, hate one and love the other. So it's important that whatever type of anxiety Jesus is speaking of to these followers of his day, and if it has any application to us, we have to understand that it's tied to this type of worry about possessions, and this shouldn't surprise us because what does he say over and over again in this passage? He tells us details about this anxiety. It's related to what we should eat, what we should drink, and the type of clothing, whether or not we'll have clothing, sort of life's essentials. Remember, this is a culture that primarily lives in 
you know, subsistory farming. They're just daily trying to farm their needs, catch food through fishing for their needs. And Jesus is referring to what we might call ordinary worries that choke out sort of life in the present, okay? He, he's, I want to say this very, very clearly, and it's very important that I say this. Um, he's not referring to sort of what we would call a dis- disordered worry in our particular culture. He's talking about ordered worries, worries that come natural to us, worries that are very common to all. A worry that you would share with the person next to you and they say, oh, I, I know what it's like to worry about my retirement fund. I, I know a thing or two about what it's like to worry about my survival in the future as I grow older. I, I, I get it. He's not necessarily referring to people who have fears that walls might close in on them. And this, you know, hinders them from functioning, okay? He's talking about garden variety, ordinary worry. I'll be blunt as to why I'm, I'm making this distinction. If you're on medication because of anxiety, or you're seeing a therapist because of anxiety, Jesus isn't saying, oh, oh ye of little faith, you know? He's, he's talking about these daily and ordinary worries. There are worries that plague us where we need experts to push, help us push through that are extraordinary. What he's talking about is something that's very natural, very ordinary, very common, something that everybody has experienced. And we might wonder, why is this the case? But again, I have to be brief, but if you know anything about the storyline of the Bible, we're told that our first parents, the first human beings that, that had this intimate relationship like children to a father with their creator, chose to run away from home almost like the teenager who thinks he or she knows what, what they're doing, knows what he or she's doing, knows, knows how to survive, knows how to live the good life. And so our first parents, were told, while they were still adolescents, ran away from home and now find themselves in a world outside of God's protective care that they were originally given and promised. And because of that, now the ordinary and natural human experience is a word, world of worry. We have to toil and struggle by the sweat of our brows to think through and wrestle through how are we going to survive. And this is why it is more natural to be a person who worries than to be a person who doesn't worry. This isn't just about planning for the future and being concerned about the future. It's a reality that life has an ephemeral nature to it. And this puts inside of us a deep fear that controls and overwhelms us to our minds get in cycles that we can't get out of. So let me just say it bluntly again. There are certain disorders of worry that I'm not convinced Jesus is referring to here. And if you have these sorts of disorders, I think there's relevance to what Jesus is saying, a lot of application, but I'm not saying, you know, stop going to a therapist, stop taking medication for this anxiety. Have family members on medication for anxiety. I understand how these things work. But he is talking about an anxiety, whether you're on medication or not, that we all completely understand and that we have to wrestle through, okay? So what, I'm trying to be swift here, but this is the type of worry that Jesus is referring to, the type of anxiety this plaguing, uh, 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 overwhelming trouble over the necessities of life that feels like you must be overwhelmed by it if you're going to survive. This is why in verse 27 he says, who can add an hour to their life by their worrying? This is this, this knowing that life, we're on our way out. That life has a fleeting nature to it. And this, the thought of that overwhelms us to be able to live in the present. This is what the type of worry or anxiety Jesus is referring to. Now let's ask, what does worry or what does anxiety do to us? How does anxiety work? In verse 25, Jesus tells us, he says, anxiety, worry says uh, that we need more food. We need more drink. We need more water. We need more clothes. We need more stockpiling of goods. And in a sense, what worry does and anxiety does is it tells us that driving need and addressing that perceived threat is more important than experiencing life in the present. We might say that worry overwhelms us with fear 
about a potential tomorrow so that we can't properly see and experience life in the present. It's, it's an overwhelming fear about what could happen tomorrow, a potential tomorrow, which distorts and makes us miss what is going on in the present, especially our blessing. Which one of you can add an hour by your life by worrying? In fact, we now know through great medical research, not only can you not add an hour to your life through anxiety, you're actually likely going to shorten your life almost assuredly. You'll find yourself more lonely and isolated. Anxiety is a, a, a perceived threat in the future that overwhelms the ability to experience life in the present. It reduces life in the present to fear about potential future crises, okay? The potential overshadows the actual. This is how anxiety begins to work. Um, the Bible is not speaking against planning. There's quite a bit to say in the Bible about planning, and if you don't plan and you try to use this verse as your scapegoat, the Lord will uh, he'll make a mockery of you, I assure you. The Bible is not opposed to planning. It's not opposed to risk management, but I think you and I know that those kinds of experiences of planning and risk management are on a continuum. And at some point in the continuum, risk management goes to absurdity, you know? When you're sitting around making your plans for your retirement, but then also thinking about, like, what plan am I going to do if the sun burns out? You know, if, if that happens, what's my backup plan to get artificial light to my life? At some level, it reaches a level of absurdity that begins to overshadow experience of the present. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. I'm no scientist, but I was told that the, the fog that might sort of lay over your entire house and even over your entire street, maybe your whole block, that that fog, if we were able to sort of harness it and get it all together, it wouldn't be much more than a glass of water. And yet that glass of water, when it is sort of spread into billions of little droplets, it has the ability to distort your view in the present. When it's, when it's set free and let go into the world and into the atmosphere, it has the ability to distort your view of reality. And so it is with anxiety. Billions of potential reasons to worry become like those droplets of fog. And though they should just be a little glass on your desk, all of a sudden you can't see around you, you can't see clearly. Winston Churchill is quoted as saying, we are a people always getting ready to live and never living. Decent phrase to say to your wife when you're running late to go somewhere, but a more profound phrase if you let it settle in deeply. He's also quoted saying, always telling the story of an old man who is on his deathbed, and he said, I had lots of troubles in life, most of which never actually happened. We are a people who worry, and this is the way worry works into our lives. Anxiety works into our lives. The perception about the future and all the ways things could go wrong become for us a fog, a mist that we can't get past. We can't live in the present. And the ability to live in the present is an extraordinary, extraordinary witness to, to something unique in our present age. We're unable to enjoy our education because we're so worried about our future job. We're so unable to enjoy our first job because we're so worried about whether or not we're moving up the corporate ladder, whether or not we're going to make it. We're unable to enjoy our successes in this world because we're worried about things like interest rates and inflation and RRSPs. We're unable to live in the present. Worry trips us up about a potential future, and it makes us unable to move forward. Now, listen, I, I don't, I'm, I'm making very little application because I think each of you know a way in which you are tempted to get into a cycle of anxiety and worry and something in your life. And what you have to understand and what you have to catch yourself doing is that this potential future is beginning to overshadow the present reality, okay? 
And Jesus is, is calling that experience out. And he's saying there's something more important than money and, 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 and shelter and retirement. There's something more important. And that's the present taste of life. This is how anxiety works. It sort of drops bombs about a potential future into our present reality. And we're stuck living in the aftershock. It, living in this fog of potential realities. Now, what does Jesus want us to do with our anxiety? And this is really the whole point of the passage. What does he want us to do with our anxiety? Well, what I want to argue is that Jesus wants us to first look in, and he's going to tell us to look out, and then he's going to tell us to look ahead, okay? So first Jesus is going to say to look in. In verse 25, he says, don't be anxious about food and drinks and clothes. Why? Because he says, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? It's a bit of a cryptic saying, but what is he trying to tell you? What is he trying to say to me? He's trying to say that what you ought to realize in the present is that the present taste of life and experience of life now, the present meal in front of you, the present experience even now as you sit in this building with uh, this group of people, that this is greater than, much more important than, any, anything worry can accomplish and stockpile and set aside so that you can move forward. Is not life more important than anxiety? What Jesus is saying is this. You need to come to terms first by looking in that the problem is much worse than a future job. The problem is much worse than interest rates. It's, it's much worse than a changing culture. It's much worse than, uh, than problems in family relationships. You must look inside of yourself and see that you indeed are going to die. You're transgressing towards death. You're limited in your scope, in your mind, in your ability to comprehend. There's so many more variables. Sorry, actuaries. Your tables are great, but they can only do so much. There's so many things you ought to be worried about. Now, you might say, well, why would, why would Jesus tell us that life is more important? Why would he do that? Well, before we're ever going to move forward, we have to realize that part of the problem when we look inside is that we think too highly of our own abilities. And we think we can concoct a riskless life, or at least such a managed risk life, that we can move forward without trouble, you know? We think if we just, just make the right plans, we'll move forward. Jesus is saying, you need to understand, the situation's much worse than you realize. You can make the greatest plan for your future, the greatest plan for your retirement. Dementia comes for a lot of us. Comes for a lot of us. And all those plans are going to be hard to recall. You need to look inside and see something about your nature is more limited than you want to admit. And this is going to be the path to dealing with anxiety first, is realizing there's far more out there. The problem is much bigger than you realize. You have much less agency than you want to admit. The Earth's rotation, you can do very little to stop it from spinning around the sun the way it is. And yet, a little bit off, things might change for our crop production. You need to see how small you are. You need to see how limited you are. But don't stop there. Jesus then says you need to look out. What does he say in verse 26? He says, go bird watching. You know, look at the birds in the air. This is what's crazy. The birds don't sit around with a financial advisor. I don't know if you know this, but we know a thing or two about birds. And what we do know is they don't sit around with financial advisors about retirement plans. Okay? These birds don't get together and figure out what they're going to do about rising interest rates. They're not concerned. They're flying around. You're going to walk out of here, and you're going to see birds in the sky. And you know what you're not going to see? I mean, maybe you'll see one, two, maybe one or two that are dead. But by and large, you're going to see birds delighting, soaring through the air, finding food. Jesus is saying, if this species can survive, if they haven't gone extinct, 
If they, can, if they can thrive and fly through the wind, my goodness, what about you? If our Heavenly Father watches out for them, will he not watch out for you? Look out. See the birds. But he doesn't stop there. He also says, look at the tulips that are opening up. Look at their beauty and their splendor. They did nothing to do it, and yet the Lord in his sovereign kindness has provided them the, the, the nutrients into the soil and the rain and the sunlight at just the right temperature so that they now burst open in glory. He does it purely because that's who he is. That's what he's like. That's what he wants to see. You see how wonderful he is, how creative he is. If he'll do that to those tulips out there, why are you worried about what you're going to wear? If he will array them with such splendor, need you to worry about the beauty that awaits you, that is for you, if you are bonded and tied with him, look out. What Solomon, or what, sorry, what Jesus is saying in, in a form of wisdom like Solomon is that we are to meditate on the way God's providence has worked itself out. His providence has worked itself out in a special way for the birds. It's worked its way out in a special way for all these flowers we're going to see as it's bloomed. Meditate on God's pro- providence, not only in your present life, but also in the history, the way he has watched over and sustained all things. And then Jesus is going to say, at this point then, look ahead. Because you see, life is always pulling us in the direction of our strongest thought. Or maybe another way to say it is that whatever you're focused on, that you will be headed towards. And what does Jesus tell us to seek? Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I memorized it in KJV as a little kid. And all these things will be added. Seek the ending of the story. Focus on, meditate on the ending of the story, that the Lord will make all things right, that injustice won't win. We can fight our whole life and lose, and we need not lose hope. The Lord will win. He will make all things right. And we know this with great confidence. Why? Because he sent his son to die on the cross to be the victim of the greatest injustice. And as he's buried, he raised him from the dead and said, new life is going to be poured into this world. There's there's going to be a a, a new breath of life that's going to come into all things that are dead. There will be renewal, and the wicked will be judged. The Lord will bring them into judgment, and his people will find themselves forgiven, yes, of all their sins, but living in a world in which all is made right, in which we walk and stride with our Father, and we don't know this frustration of anxiety anymore. That day is coming. Jesus is saying, keep your focus there in the midst of the mist. In the midst of the vapor, keep your eyes directed clearly, your mind corrected clearly on where this is. Now, I don't know this is for a fact, but I've heard that part of the reason why lion tamers in the circus always have that little stool with them is in part because if the lion starts to get a little pushy to the lion tamer, the stool, especially the four-legged stool, if it's put right in front of the face of the lion, the lion gets so confused as four things are coming at it that it doesn't know how to focus. Now, listen, I'm just a preacher. I'd like to believe I speak fairly authoritatively about things about salvation. I wouldn't recommend jumping in the lion pit and taking me on my word about this, but I think it's true. At least the internet tells me it's true. In some senses, this is what anxiety does to us. It tells us to focus on all these different things, and in the same way, a lion's power can be harnessed by all these other things pulling for our attention. Our Lord is telling us to seek his kingdom, the place where everyone identifies one another as sister and brother. The place of unending peace where weapons of war are melted down into gardening tools so we can see more glory of this creation. Jesus is saying, keep your mind there. Christ has come. He's paid for your sins. He is working in this world to bring this new world in. Stay focused there. Maybe my lion illustration didn't fit. A photographer can only focus on one 
one frame of reference, at least that's my understanding. I could be wrong about that too. I should be careful. These are illustrations. They're supposed to make a point. They don't have to be right, you know. You're supposed to get my point. What I'm trying to say is you must get this world that is to come into your focus in a world of mist, in a, in, in a world of fog. You must at least be able to close your eyes and see almost as clearly as if it's right in front of your nose this world that is to come. And by faith, then walk through this mist of anxiety and worry as, as these droplets bombard you with a potential future. You must know that Jesus, our Lord, won this kingdom on the cross. He won this kingdom. And our Lord was raised from the dead. And not only that, his coronation, as glorious as Charles III was yesterday, was to be raised and elevated into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. All power is in his hands. He's now in heaven governing and ruling over all things. And he's ruling over this world, our Lord Jesus, our King Jesus, not as a master, not as a tyrant, you know, not as sort of a, a democratic monarchy. He's ruling over our world for us as a brother. And he is at work making all things new. Let me conclude with this. I heard a story from another preacher about Queen Elizabeth I, not the second. But there was a very, very famous uh, carpenter that she longed to go on a sea voyage. She wanted to be on this team that would go on a sea voyage because of this carpenter's skills at being able to uh, repair things in the, in the event of an emergency. And there was a need for this ship to go out very, very soon. And as the carpenter was summoned to go out to sea, he had great anxiety about the business that he had started and all the potential future that lie in his skills as a carpenter and what he hoped to pass on to his kid. And he was reluctant he wanted to pass on to his children this great business. The business wasn't quite there yet. He was wondering if it was going to sink. And as the story goes, Queen Elizabeth I wrote to him and said, My dear subject, you mind my business, and I will mind your business. And in a sense, whether the story's true or not, that's a beautiful example of what Jesus is saying right here. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first this world is to come where all is made right where people walk as sister and brother, where conflict results in reconciliation, not, not uh, running towards opposite directions. Seek first this kingdom. And Jesus says, you make my business your business. I'll make your business my business. And he begins to work, as he has promised, to work out all things for our good, for those who love Christ Jesus. This is the hope that we have in the face of anxiety, in the face of the fog of anxiety. We've got to look in and realize the problem is much worse than we're seeing. There's far more fog to it than we want to admit. We've got to look out and see the way God has watched over our world, including the birds and the flowers. And we've got to look ahead to this day that is to come when all is made right. And we have to trust by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have a place there. And there is nothing, no enemy, that can stop our great King Jesus from bringing that ending into our lives and into our very real future. That ending is as certain, more certain, than any future you could possibly be anxious about. So look ahead in the face of your anxiety. This is our hope. Anxiety won't be healed completely. This isn't something that you switch on and switch off, although our medical system likes to think of anxiety this way. The type of anxiety Jesus is talking about is something in which you will progress in the Christian life. But what you worry about, there your heart is also. And our Lord is telling us there's a great kingdom that is ours. This is where your heart ought to be. Let me pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this kingdom that is ours in Christ and that you're promising to work all things together for the good of those who love you. 
that nothing can stand in the way of your promises coming into our world and coming into our lives. And though the future may feel far, the horizon might seem so far away, it is more certain than anything else we could lay our eyes on. So make us into this type of kingdom people and then use us. Make us into the type of people who believe this and then walk into conflict in our world, hoping for reconciliation, pushing for reconciliation. Make us a type of people who walk into the messiness of someone else's anxious life and become a source of peace. Make us a non-anxious, peace-filled people in an anxious city, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.